You are listening to another tale from the Mage's Den, the podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. Waning by B. Morris Allen, narrated by Carl Walmsley. The old king rattled his bones. That was what the younger knights at the table called it. When they thought he couldn't hear them, when they thought his famously keen senses could be overcome by the riot of laughter and ribald conversation. Despite the fire in the great hall, he shivered again, and Norda smoothed the blanket over his knees beneath the table. The knees were the worst for painful pops and cracks, but the shoulders were bad as well. Around the keep, they joked about the noise. Windy tonight, the old king will be rattling again. (laughs) Just you listen. As if he were some grotesque wind ornament rather than a shaky old man. They said it with the warmth of love, but he was cold nonetheless. He pulled his heavy cloak closed, trying to keep his hands covered. He pressed against the table, trying to catch the heavy fabric against it. The wood... Smoothed by decades of elegant meals, and rowdy ones, refused to take hold, and his gnarled fingers slipped out again into the cold. A soft whistle to one side, and down the table the bear knocked over his goblet to the great amusement of the others. On the other side, Norda's deft hands snuck in to smoothly rearrange the cloak while no one was watching. The most loyal of all his loyal knights. A faint scent of jasmine rose up, the smell of her fanciful bath water. He smiled fondly at her thinning grey hair as she reached past him for a wrinkled winter apple. She sliced it carefully, letting a few stray pieces fall to the side in case he should want some. The Old King, they called him. Not to his face, but not far away either, as if he wouldn't hear them over the noise of his own creaking frame. He was old. Some of his knights were old too. He looked around the table. The bear was nearly fifty. His fur, long since greyed or gone. Arm was fifty-five or even more. Still able to lead a charge, though, both of them. Even Haros, the boy warrior, was forty-one. Not really old yet. Still hanging on grimly to the prime of life. Still full of passion and vigour. They joined him as youngsters mostly, when he was already famous, four-time victor over the Borag Horde, champion of the Blue Lady, single-handed vanquisher of the monstrous Haug. They were loyal to him, of course, and they still respected him and honoured his past feats. But he could barely lift a knife now, let alone the waning, his fabled moon axe, a thin crescent of bright steel that had ended more lives than he'd seen mornings. Norda, of course, was nearer his own age. He remembered as if it were yesterday that grey day, high in the hills of Mornes. In the prime of his youth, tall, strong, handsome even, he'd gone in search of the fabled Blue Lady. By the edge of a trickling spring overlooking the valley, he'd found her, found them both. Lady upright and cool, hard-faced Norda already on her knees, 
holding out the waning for him to take. And take it he did, to forge and hold an empire, the likes of which the world had never seen before. Norda had stayed with him, her intuitive military genius helping him to win the battles that forged his reputation. She had loved him then, he knew, loved him right from the start. She had been no beauty, and he had been young, and then there had been Elra. He turned the thought away before the tears could come. They came too easily now. He looked around instead at his friends, heard them make their jests, tell their tales. It was their table he sat at now, he realised, no longer his own. They welcomed him, but no longer needed him to lead, to inspire. The one thing he'd been good at, aside from killing. It was just as well. The knights didn't know it yet, but the real rattling was in his chest. Maybe one more winter. Maybe not even this one. He fumbled under his blanket for the pocket of his robe, and the vial hidden there. Touching the smooth, waxed stopper with a fingertip, he seemed to smell almonds and apple seeds, warm days and sunshine. His preparation for the day he was too shamed to go on. Perhaps when he was confined to bed, shitting in a pan, his private parts cleaned by a serving girl or boy. The thought no longer bothered him as it once had. The closer it came, the more bearable it appeared. As with most of life, mysterious things were more frightening than the familiar. A horrible howl he began, but caught himself again before he could drift further into memory, knowing he'd probably fall asleep and drool on his cloak. Not for the first time, and he supposed not the last. Perhaps he'd die in his sleep some day, shunted off to a quiet corner room by his kind and faithful knights. Suicide wasn't really his way. Fighting the Horde, that should have been suicide, but somehow it hadn't been, nor had dozens of similar campaigns over the years. He freed his hands and roused enough to tap feebly on a tin goblet with his knife. When Haros, ever the vigilante, saw it, he echoed the move, much greater effect. Well, he tried his voice edging a whisper and a whimper. The king coughed harshly and tried again. <coughs> well, my friends, it's time for bed. Promise me you'll follow soon. No staying up late. A smile greeted this weak Sally. Norda nudged his leg with her own in mute offering, but he turned her down with a wink as always. It was a sincere but token offer. They both knew he would never take it up. The knight stood when he did, and waited as he made his way slowly to the door. Norder and Haros had pulled his chair back and away, but they knew better than to offend his dignity with more help. The king did his best to stride powerfully to the door, watching carefully for the one loose stone that liked to hide beneath the rushes. Out in the corridor, he paused to rest, and heard chairs scrape and conversation begin again. His hearing still was good at least. He could still hear a basilisk blink from 30 paces away. His strength and speed both gone. He'd have time now only to despair before it killed him. Yet, despair seemed distant in these familiar hallways, dim though they were by night and age.
He savoured the pleasures of home, listened to the sounds of a working keep as he walked slowly to his rooms down the hall. The regular pacing of the guard upstairs, the giggle from the linen closet, the crackle of a fire in the tailor's hearth. It warmed him a bit. When he did go, he would leave behind a happy kingdom, and well run too. His talents had been for war, not peace, but he'd been wise enough to use the one to achieve the other, and then to administer that peace as well as he could. Elra had been the key to that, of course. She'd never borne the child they all needed, but she had given them a time of calm and prosperity that more than made up for it. He'd refused to sire an official bastard, even with Norda, who'd made herself Elra's friend. Even when they both urged him to do it. What good was a peace that made you break your promises? And even now, there was no real danger. He'd made his preferences clear long ago. Haros would take over when he eventually died. Norda was the military strategist, the guide to all his victories. But the victories were long won. Haros was the best choice in these modern days. He had a calming way about him that made him hard to dislike. Haros was the king in waiting, everyone knew, and a good man for it too. As he reached his own door at last, a rustle startled him, a quiet sound of fabric on fabric from the room beyond, a curtain, perhaps, blowing in the breeze. It was unlikely. The servants and the knights might tease about the cold wind, but they loved their king. They would no more leave the window open to the cold than they would stab him in his sleep. He had staked his life on it many times and would happily do so again. Still, Portion became an old man, and he reached slowly, quietly for his knife belt. His grasping hand found nothing, and he recalled leaving the thing on the table, his fingers tired by the feeble tapping on his goblet. No doubt his page, Berin, would slip in later to return the knife, the pair of them to pretend he had never forgotten it. He considered the long trudge back to the hall, or at least to the nearest guard station, but gave it up. Better to die rested than to start building his reputation as a doddering fool tonight. He reached slowly for the cold iron of the door handle, pausing when he became aware of a faint smell. Jasmine and pine. Sharp and poignant. It was familiar now, raising thoughts of spring and cold, clear water flowing out of dark granite, the reminder of his first brief meeting with the Blue Lady of Mornes. Cold, distant, and mysterious, she had watched him take the waning and dedicate it to her service. She'd shrugged and promised him that if he kept the axe at his side, he could make history. When she vanished, fading somehow into the moss, he'd stood there dumb, Norda speechless at his side. A young man, a younger woman, that shining axe and a fading scent. He'd not seen the lady since, and he wondered as he turned the handle what she wanted now. She sat at his hearth, a vague vision in silver and blue, just as he remembered. But where before she had been still and cool and dark, now she was animated, like a slow, swirling mist. 
he lowered himself carefully into his cushioned chair, rattling all the way down. The lady's face was hidden in shadow, but her dress shone with the moonlight leaking through the shutters. The familiar smooth blue fabric seemed silver at her shoulder, orange and purple where the firelight touched the hem near the floorboards. They sat in silence as he gathered his thoughts. At last, he chose to be blunt. Subtlety had never been his strength. I called on you, lady, long ago. She turned aside, the fire dappling her gown with a patchwork of darkness and shadow. I know. Her voice made him think of flowering brooks, a laugh of tiny waterfalls. He might have told her so in his youth. His voice broke despite the years gone by. I called you for Elra to save her, to save me. He fell silent, remembering his wife. A tall, spare woman with a caustic wit, a high, sharp laugh, and the instinctive sense of fairness that had made him trust and love her so deeply. The lady made no response, and they sat by the firelight in silence. It seemed unfair, he said at last. All those lives I took in your name, and you wouldn't give me one in return. The pain had dulled long since, but he remembered his anger, the long, anguished years after Elra's death, the wild chances he had taken, expanding his empire in leaps at an age where most men sat in the sun and slept. I have my powers, the lady admitted, but saving lives is not among them. I sent her to you, who made her happy, and I tried to ease her last moments as best I could. I could do no more. Even so there was a cost. And a high one. There is always a cost with you, he murmured. He could not remember now whether Elra had told him that or Norda. They had both had their dealings with the lady. Not for you, not yet. And is it time then for me to pay at last? As you say, there is always a cost. Well, what is it then? I've already had the benefit. He smiled, a little smug, secure in his history, his achievements, his legend. Have you? We met, you and I, but we struck no bargain. You paid no price. Of course we did. When I came upon you there in the hills, you gave me my axe, gave me my future. Did I? Enough! Games, lady! His voice was rough with anger. I took your axe and your fate and made them my own. You promised me history and I made it. I gave you nothing. Enough! He repeated, with more confusion now than anger. Explain yourself! Old he might be, but a king nonetheless. You took the axe from Norda. Not from me. Startled, he looked back, recalling the day. He had burst upon them in a clearing, 
The blue lady, tall and elegant and hooded, gnawed her on her knees, holding out an axe. And he had taken it, taken it as his own. But she was holding it for you, he said, brow furrowed, to give to me. She was holding it for me. She shrugged, just as she had years ago. You said with that axe, I would make history. I said you would make history if you kept it by your side. He recalled again the battles he had fought, the victories he had won, the days that Norda had stood beside him, fought beside him, bled beside him. And he knew, had somehow always known, but had avoided the truth. Norda had planned his victories, ordered his tactics, won his wars. His chest tightened as he let understanding come at last. A great hero, a leader, a king, famed from east to west, north to south, and all that he had ever done was stand at the front and order his men to die. A tear leaked out, and he let it trickle down his cheek, a small enough tribute to a lifetime of ignorance. I've been a fool, he said at last. In some ways, yes. And Norda knew it. And Elra. And the rest. The tears came faster now. What did they know? That Norda planned your battles? That was no secret. You knew it yourself. That I'm a fool? Self-pity gave his words the bite that age denied them. That you're a leader. Why do you think they followed you? Because you won? Yes, in part. That was my gift to Norda. But she never had the skill to draw men to her. They followed you because of who you are. A brave man and a true one. And Norda? Don't pretend foolishness now. She followed you for love. He acknowledged the comment with a nod. So I've had Norda's bargain. For free. What has she had? She's had the bargain that she made. If she gave away her victories, they were hers to give. There is always a cost, he pressed. What was hers? I offered fame and glory. Her voice was gentle. But I told her she would not have love. He looked down in understanding and in shame. And she has had none from me. No. He had taken everything from her, he saw now. Taken her talent, her triumph, her youth. And in exchange for what? For seeing him love another woman. A woman she'd befriended. And he had not seen it. Had held her by him as a friend and as a friend to Elra, and nothing more. Elra, who had surely understood, had seen a way to share his love with Norda, and he had turned them down. When the tears were done, he spoke again. You are cruel, lady. Life is cruel, and you have naught to do with that. 
Little enough. Why have you come? He asked suddenly, roughly. Have you nothing more to do than to torture an old man? To make his final days a misery? I came, she said softly, to offer you a choice, for Norda's sake. A choice? A bargain? So that I too may pay a price? Yes. You said yourself the time for foolishness is done. Then show your wisdom now. Tell your bargain if you must, and then go. He took up a fire iron, poked the coals as viciously as age allowed. Come with me now, and leave the waning to Norda. Let her forge her own destiny at last. Or stay, and give her the love she seeks. The brief glow from the fire faded, leaving her shining and dark in the moonlight. You are cruel, he said again. He did not love Norda, not in the way she wanted. She knew that surely by now. He could not love her as a friend, hold her as a lover. He could pretend, and perhaps that would be enough. Or he could go, and let her find her own way at last, free from hope and desire, free to show her genius to the world. She deserved that, deserved for once to be the hero, the leader, the legend. Was it fear that urged this choice? Fear at seeing her now, knowing that for all these years he'd been a fool, shining in her light, and that she'd loved him nonetheless. But that was wrong. He'd been a fool, yes. But if he had one thing that was his own, it was his courage. Another kind of foolishness, perhaps. But he had never shied from danger. Never let another risk what he would not. Besides, he thought with sadness, the days of love were gone. He was old now. We were both old. The passions of youth were dim. The delights of flesh, few and far between. What remained of love was friendship. And they had been friends, he and Norda. At least they had been friends. Better to leave now and let her have her fortune back as well. Better to give her true fame than false love. The king and the lady sat in silence, listening to the slow crackling of the fire. At last he stood, squaring his shoulders as best he could against the stoop of his back. His knees cracked as he shuffled slowly to the bed and lay down. Do you know, lady? he said, swallowing. I've never really seen your face. I'll finally get that chance at least, won't I? He peered up at her where she stood in the shadows next to the bed, her eyes dark hollows against pale cheeks. You will, if you wish to. She moved slightly into the moonlight as she reached up to pull back her hood with the two thin fingers of her hand. He looked for a long time, then sighed. I thought so, he said at last, as he let a small vial drop gently to the soft carpet of his room.
In the morning, Berim slipped in early, the old king's belt knife tucked discreetly in one sleeve. But there was no longer any need for discretion. And after a long interval, he stumbled out again, tears running down his face. After the tears were done, and Haros was crowned, the gibbous moon of his flag fluttering from cold towers, Norda turned away. A crescent axe upon her back, she turned her path at last to fortune and glory, to history and fame. And as she made her slow way down the road, she cursed the bitterness of love and the foolishness of men. The End <laughs>